and it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Today, our continuation of Colossians chapter 1 and the point of emphasis of stewardship. Is it possible to be born again and not preach? Today, the answer to these and many more questions. And now, Pastor Robert Elliott. Let's let the text speak for itself again. Colossians 1, starting at verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Verse 25. Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is the mystery which has been hidden from past ages and generations, but now has been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. This was the Apostle Paul's commissioning to ministry, and this remains God's commissioning to you in Jesus Christ's service. And as I said, there are six emphases we're going to quickly see this morning that we ought to have in mind as we serve Jesus Christ as a father, as a mother, as a grandfather, a grandmother, as a Sunday school teacher, as a word of life clubs worker, as a youth sponsor, as an employee where you work. Six emphases that we should carry with us wherever we serve Jesus. What's the first emphasis? It's the emphasis of the church. The church ought to be an emphasis of each of our ministry lives. Verse 24, now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. The first emphasis that I should have and that you all should have is the church. Paul could rejoice in his physical and emotional sufferings while he was in prison, while the Spirit of God had him write the book of Colossians. He could rejoice in his circumstances, in his sufferings. Why? Because he saw himself as being part of something which was much bigger than him, the church. I hope you realize this morning, Christian, that you are part of something that is way bigger than you the family of God, the church, the body of Christ, the church. You are part of something way bigger than just you. And we should remember to emphasize in our love and devotion, the church. Now, at first glance at verse 24, it might seem to be teaching that Jesus' afflictions were somehow incomplete. Is that what it's saying? Second half of 24. Filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. What does this mean? Well, it doesn't mean that Jesus Christ's payment for your sins on the cross was incomplete. 
It does not mean that. Because what Jesus did on the cross for you lacked nothing. Not one thing at all did it, was it deficient in. That's why Jesus said in John 19, verse 30, it is finished. His payment for our sins, his defeat of Satan, his defeat of death, it is finished, Jesus said. Nothing can be added to it, nor does anything need to be added to it. So what does it mean when it says that Paul says, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions? What does this mean? It means this, that there is a union with every true believer with Jesus Christ. If this is Jesus Christ and this is you as a a born-again Christian, you have unification, you have identification, you have been joined to Jesus. That's true of every single born-again Christian in the room and it's true of every single born-again Christian on planet Earth. And guess what? Think about it. If we are all joined as believers to the same Jesus, then are we not all joined to each other? If we took a tuning fork and we rang a tuning fork and we all, in our pitch of our voices, were uh, synced with the tuning fork, then we would all be synced with each other, right? So you are joined to Christ if you're saved. Everyone in the world who's saved is also joined to Jesus. That means we are joined to each other. Isn't that cool? We are bigger than something that we ourselves could manufacture. Now, so what does it mean that we are filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions? This. It means that Paul understood and Paul wants us to understand that when the church suffers... The head of the church, Jesus Christ, also suffers. Think of that. When you go through a divorce, or when you bury a child, and you suffer, the Lord Jesus suffers with you. He's sympathetic. In love, he suffers when you suffer. And so we fill up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions in the sense that when we suffer, Jesus suffers with us. And suffering will not end for the church, the body of Christ, the family of God, until the millennial kingdom, the future thousand-year rule and reign of Jesus Christ on earth, when there will be suppressed evil, Satan will be bound for a thousand years, then suffering will cease. But until that kingdom is ushered in, each of us is going to suffer. And when we suffer, Jesus suffers. And it fills up what is lacking in Christ's affliction, not on the cross, but after the cross, in his sympathy for us, in his unity with us, in his love for us. You do realize that more Christians were killed in the 20th century than all of the other centuries that preceded the 20th century combined. The church of Jesus Christ is persecuted. There are brothers and sisters in Christ in quarters of the world this morning who are in an underground church because if they were to be found, they'd be killed. There are brothers and sisters in Christ this last week have been killed for their faith, tortured, maimed, lost their jobs, been separated forever from their families because of Jesus. We need to pray for them. 
Do you realize that in this little period since the 21st century rolled in, in the 15 years of a brand new century, a 21st century, that we are on a pace for persecuted Christians to be killed and become martyrs at a greater rate than in the 20th century, which was the greatest persecution on Christians of any century before. Jesus Christ's afflictions are being filled up by the suffering of his body and his bride, the church. And so the first emphasis that we see in our text is the church. The church of Jesus Christ is not a sideshow. It is the show. It's the primary vehicle of blessing to the world until the rapture of the church out of here. Don't let the church be peripheral if you get around to it, if you like the music or the preaching. The church of Jesus Christ is to be an emphasis of our lives as his servants. The church is where it's at. This means that the spiritual family, this family, is to have precedence over your nuclear families. Yeah, I said that. This forever family should be more important to you than your nuclear family was to Jesus. When Jesus was teaching those who were receiving his teaching and they brought his mother and half-brothers and half-sisters to see him and they interrupted him and said, Master, your mother and your brothers and your sisters are here to see you, he turned to the spiritual people who were not blood relatives of his and said, behold, my mother and my brothers and my sisters. The church of Jesus Christ should be an emphasis for us such that we understand that when push comes to shove, we are loyal to each other ahead of even being loyal to our nuclear families if a choice has to be made. The Lord Jesus Christ died a horrific death to create the church. May we never minimize it, trivialize it, or put it low on our list. What is the second emphasis of our passage? It's preaching. Preaching is the second emphasis we see. I see it in verse 25. See it with me. Of this church, I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. You know, preaching has fallen on hard times. In some quarters of the evangelical church, if you preach more than 10 minutes, you're boring. If you don't have a movie clip, you're irrelevant. If you don't tickle the people's ears to tell them what they like to hear, a feel-good message, then you're not a good preacher. Preaching is to be emphasized in our redeemed lives as servants of Jesus Christ because the Bible emphasizes preaching. Will you notice with me from verse 25 that preaching of the word of God is called the stewardship and it is called a benefit. The stewardship means that it is a precious thing given from the owner to be held by a steward. This past 
Friday, I deposited my paycheck into what I thought was my bank account, but the bank put it into someone else's bank account. Now, I am generous, but at least I would like to know the person I gave my paycheck to. <laughs> and so I went to the bank and I said, there's a problem here. And because they treat my deposited funds in their bank like a stewardship, they got right on it. And they fixed the problem. Preaching is a stewardship. And now, today's personal God story. Well, good morning. It's nice to have Janika Pierce with me in the studio. Janika is a, a fine young woman and sister in the Lord that uh, we all appreciate at Calvary Bible Church. She uh, serves Jesus with a joy that is uh, infectious. Janika, let me just start by asking you, um, who is Jesus Christ to you? Jesus Christ to me, he's first and foremost my Savior because he saved me from my sin. And secondly, he's my friend. I try to see him as my friend and my brother and the lover of my soul. Mm. So it all starts with him being your peace with God, uh, the one who's paid for your sins, but he moves even further into your life by being your friend and and uh, your brother, and I'm sure your Lord and Master as well. That's wonderful. Janika, how does Jesus Christ make a difference daily in how you live? Well, it seems sort of like a cliche, the whole what would Jesus do sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But I do often think, like, if Jesus was with me, what would he expect of me? What would he want me to say in this situation? What, he, what would he expect me to do? So just being his child, I think of how he would re he would expect me to respond in a certain situation or give me the wisdom to respond in a certain way to certain people or anything really, even in the small things. Yes, yeah, so, so he's a living Lord to you. Right. He's alive from the dead and you've come to learn what he likes and what he doesn't like from the Bible. Right. You found that out and you try to bring that to bear on how you live. Right, exactly. And that's, that's what it means to be a Jesus follower, so that's really great. Um, Janika, in your opinion, what do you think that Bahamians your age uh, think about Jesus and their problems? As young Bahamians look at the problems they face, do they think that Jesus Christ is relevant to that? Honestly, I I don't think that a lot of people my age in particular think that he's very relevant at all. So they'd see him off to the side. Right. And if you were to bring him into uh, something they were facing, if they weren't believers and they were young adults, they'd mm -hmm. probably say well, almost like, what does he have to do, do with, with this? That, right, or how, how could he possibly help me, you know? How does that really solve this problem in this very moment? You know. Yes, and then how would you how would you address that if one of your friends was feeling that way? Well, if they felt like he wasn't like relevant or he couldn't be applied to what they were facing, I guess I would express to them how he has helped me in my life mm -hmm. and different things that I have faced, where I may have felt like, okay, this is a seemingly impossible situation. But if you give it over to God, he can and will help you get through it, if that is his will. 
Yes, and so really your own personal story mm-hmm. with the Lord can be very useful right. because someone who doesn't know him yet could gain real benefit from what you know about him mm-hmm. yourself. Right. And they would come, we pray, to see that he is very relevant. He's the most relevant to what they face. Well, that's, that's good. Would you label yourself religious? No, I would say, if someone asks me that, I would say, no, I'm a Christian. Oh, well, let's role play a little bit. Pretend I'm not your pastor. <laughs> okay. okay. So I ask you, are you religious? And you'd, you say, no, I'm a Christian. No, you're a Christian. I thought Christianity is a religion. Yes, it is a religion, but I wouldn't see myself as a religious because to me, Christianity is more of having a relationship with Jesus Christ. Ah. Right. So that inv- what does a relationship involve? Well, that's like the same relationship you have with a friend mm-hmm. or a boyfriend or other significant other in a relationship. We would talk with that person. You would communicate with them, learn about them. Mm-hmm. And as you learn about them, you learn to love them and do what they want. Yes. And learn to trust them. Yeah, right. To be there for you. Exactly. Okay. So I guess in this whole uh, situation we're trying to talk about, uh, the, d- the difference is that religion is sort of like rules and rituals right. and trusting a certain denomination mm-hmm. or a certain church, but a relationship is putting one's faith completely onto the person and the work of Jesus right. and following him at all costs. Mm-hmm. And I must say that, you know, we who know and love you appreciate seeing you doing that mm-hmm. as a young adult. Mm-hmm. It's really, really quite encouraging. Um, Janika, do you have a favorite Bible verse? Second Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 9, and it talks about how Jesus' grace is sufficient for us, and we are strengthened even in our weaknesses through Him. And it's my favorite verse in particular because that's what I rely on. Like at a particular time in my life, I um, was struggling with a lot of stuff that was going on, and that was like the verse that kind of helped me, push me through, because I knew it wasn't by my own strength that I was going to do it, it was by God's strength. So. That's, that's great. And for all of us, uh, we have to at some point or another face up to how, just how weak we are. But when we're, when we're believers in Jesus, followers of Jesus, then that promise that's your favorite verse is that His grace is sufficient and his uh, strength shows up best in our weaknesses. So that's lovely. I appreciate that. Um, Is there anything else you'd like to say to anybody who might be listening uh, this morning? Anything else you'd like to to say to them? I guess it's going back to when we were talking about whether or not Jesus was relevant. Yes. I just want everybody or anybody out there who is listening that it may seem so cliche and just like it's the Christian thing to say because we are believers, but it's unbelievable how God shows up in your life and helps you out if you just trust him. Whether or not you're a believer or not, sometimes he shows up just to prove himself to you, to let you know that he is there and he's available to you. So I just wanted to say that. I appreciate That's great. And, and one of the great truths that the Bible tells us is that God is reaching out to us. God, even in his perfect holiness and all of us in our sinfulness, God is reaching out to us. He wants to have that relationship with us and Mm -hmm. he's revealing himself to be 
um, very God in the Bible, but also in our circumstances. Like you say, that mm-hmm. even a person who's not yet a believer who calls out to God, sometimes God in his mercy shows up in that person's need to just say, I am here and I love you and I have an answer for you. Mm-hmm. And of course, we know the greatest love and the greatest answer God has provided is in his Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, for us who died on the cross for our sins and then rose from the dead. Janique, it's been a delight to be with you this morning. Thank you so much for coming in and chatting. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Let's pray together. Lord, we pray for those in Janika's age bracket around this great country who may feel that you are irrelevant. Lord, we pray that they would come to see that you are the very most relevant one that they could ever know because you've made everything in the past, everything in the present, but also everything in the future, and that you love them and you have sent your only son to die for them and to make them acceptable to yourself, Lord. Bless Janika as she mingles and mixes with people her age and other ages too. May the joy that you've given her uh, be very evident that others would come to know this wonderful Savior who is not a religion, but who is a living Lord. And we pray this in His name. Amen. And now, help for the hurting. Good morning. It's good to be here. It is good, it is good, it is good to be here. It is often said that you can't choose the family you're born into, but you can choose the person with whom to start a family with. In this vein, it was about mm, a year ago that Joan, my lovely wife and I, began our premarital counseling at the Christian Counseling Center. Despite hearing personal accounts, we were still not sure what to expect. Pastor Arnett, our counselor, was both timely and professional. We were always greeted with a smile and ushered into a very private, comfortable office for counseling, which lasted an hour per session, and each time gave and left us with lots to discuss. After our first session, we were given instructions to take an online test, which assessed our compatibility. To maintain transparency, we were told to take it separately. From session two onward, we assessed our results, which were grouped as disagreements, positive couple agreements, and special focus. The disagreements and special focus were the points of main discussion categories, and those were family and friends, partner styles and habits, relationship roles, parenting expectations, communication, and financial management, just to name a few. Discussing these items intimately was not only a time of learning more about our potential lifetime mate, but also a time of self-exploration. We were enthusiastic both about each upcoming session for what we would discover about each other, but more importantly, the advice we would receive. Since we are both born-again believers, that was one easy thing to check off the list. Examples of other areas for consideration were, are we willing to share access to bank accounts? Very testy for some. (laughs) Did we agree on the same number of children if we were so blessed? That was another one. The eye-opening definition of love, which Pastor Fred shared with us, has been one of the things that has stuck out the most. It said, love is envisioning what God intends for the other person and taking whatever action is necessary on one's own part to see that realized. Were we ready for our spiritual, intellectual, and physical objectives to be combined, or were we still focused on I and me? 
At no time in any of our sessions were we promised that this counseling would guarantee us a smooth marriage, but rather advised that trust, honesty, respect, and effective communication were key. Also, we could only get out of it whatever we put into it. After all, have you ever been able to withdraw money from an ATM machine without having money in the bank that you're trying to get it from? If or when you or someone you know is thinking about marriage, divorce, or just need someone to listen, schedule a session with the Christian Counseling Center. We're confident they can handle whatever you throw at them. The number at the center is 323-7000. Lastly, we encourage you to support them both financially and with your prayers. Thank you very much. And now, the Bible's answers to your questions. question I have this morning I'll try to answer. The question is, how did John the Baptist survive when baby Jesus was taken to Egypt, but uh, John the Baptist as a baby boy wasn't? Well, Matthew 2, 13 through 18, these verses only state what Jesus' parents did. These verses do not indicate in any way what John's parents did or didn't do. In Luke chapter 1, verse 7, it indicates that John's parents, Zacharias and Elizabeth, were, quote, advanced in years, end quote, when John was born. None of the four Gospels state what happened with baby John or his family when King Herod demanded such horrific infanticide. We do know, though, somehow baby John survived. He went on to have the ministry which God intended for him to have. So, Scripture doesn't answer this question. And because Scripture is silent, we must be very tentative and careful in any speculations which we might have. An important Bible interpretation principle is this. Don't put words in God's mouth. Don't make any case that God hasn't made in His Word. I'll say that again. Don't put words into God's mouth. Don't make any case that God hasn't made in His Word. That's the Bible. So this being understood, it's possible that John's parents hid him well, or that John's parents relocated to, or both. When Scripture doesn't give us a detail, it should tip us to the detail not being essential for us to know. And we shouldn't expend a lot of time or effort to discover what the Lord didn't reveal in Scripture. You have been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 a.m. in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a savior.